Good evening. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out. Welcome to the September 22nd, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Downtown Denver Partnership releasing its Center City Housing Report this week. Highlights include Denver's $425,000 average home price, $1,400 average rent for a one-bedroom, and our 2.4% unemployment rate. Petty Cahoon from Westward, is Denver pricing itself out of range of the jobs that it can create? Well, this is suspicions confirmed if you've tried to hire someone in this town, tried to buy a house in this town, or tried to rent a reasonable apartment in this town. Some people would say the economy is too healthy. It's kind of a good problem until you add in maybe bringing Amazon with 5,000 more people who will raise the price, the salaries, raise the cost of housing, raise rent even higher. And it's interesting, there's kind of a backlash against Amazon coming, and the state has to, is collecting all its uh, bids by the end of the next week. David Copel <coughs> from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, when I saw these, this report in the headlines, I guess for me, the question is, is this good news for the suburbs? Well, the ones that... It's good we have suburbs because Denver's so infilled and it's getting more and more expensive. And as we may talk about later, uh, Lakewood's got proposed growth limits. So when when you cap the supply, of course, the price is, is going to go up. On, on Patty's point, I think it's a bad idea for a state to try to encourage immigration by people who are going to immediately go on welfare. And that's what Amazon is, is come here and we'll give you millions and millions of dollars of other people's money. Our state constitution forbids it. The Colorado Supreme Court won't enforce those provisions. But elected officials should still be true to their oath and not give welfare uh, to immigrants, including corporate ones. <laughs> ben Gilt, public affairs consultant, joins us. This sounds like good news for a city. I mean, you don't want the opposite numbers coming out. But how does a city handle news like this? Well, I think you handle it with caution. Um, you know, it is good news. I've lived in a city that is shrinking as opposed to growing, and it's a much different feel. Uh, so this, it's good to have these problems, but there's no question that the cost of housing is, is going beyond what people are making in salary. There's also no question that the notion of giving Amazon money to come here is specious at best. They could buy five city blocks in downtown Manhattan and build new skyscrapers without needing any subsidy. They certainly don't need it to come here. Roger Hudson, a former PIO for the Attorney General and sure. founding partner of the Hudson Firm, joins us. Thanks for being here. Uh, Roger, you look at these, uh, this news, I guess the other part of me thinking about the suburbs was thinking about the city of Aurora. Right. This sounds like good news for Aurora. I think it is. If you talk to Mayor Hogan, I mean, that's what he's gambling on, right? Because when you hear him talk, he talks about Aurora being, in, within 10 years, being bigger than Denver. Uh, they're building the Gaylord right now. They may bring NASCAR in. Uh, they're counting on the fact that they're so close to DIA that they're, I mean, this is great news for him. I don't know how great it is for, for, for Denver and actually the suburbs. I live out in Douglas County where we're seeing lots of cheap, quick housing being built. Uh, there are homes that are being plopped up in places, not a lot of growth responsibility. Um, so it may look good right now. I don't know what it's going to look like in 10 years. So we may have a problem because we've done so well in creating jobs, just not well-paying jobs in Colorado. In an effort to address prison overcrowding, the state will give Colorado, the Colorado Department of Corrections $10.6 million to lease a private prison. Meanwhile, Alan Prendergast with Westward reported that CDOC is now recalculating parole times for over 3,000 inmates after the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that the department misinterpreted sentencing statutes. 
Patty, let's get right to you about uh, Allen's great report and some pretty astounding headlines. 3,000 inmates, that's a lot. It is. Well, so on Wednesday, the state decided not to revamp an old closed prison, which was smart because it was a solitary prison. You couldn't revamp it for any amount of money, but instead to put $10 million into a private prison that could house 250 prisoners because Colorado has so many more prisoners than it thought. Well, if you read Alan's story, which broke yesterday, and Alan, I think, is the preeminent prison reporter in the country, not just in this state. It's his specialty. He found that up to 3,000 prisoners currently in Colorado prisons. They're, they should be up for parole. Their time has been miscalculated. It's going to become a huge legal case. And the fact is, if these people had been let out on the streets or into programs when they should have been, we wouldn't have a prison overcrowding project that is going to cost taxpayers $10 million. Prisoners are not the most sympathetic people to write about, but when, we, when their rights are being violated, and taxpayers have to pay $10 million because the state isn't following its own rules, that's an issue we should pay attention to. David, this sounds like a, a big legal deal, and I realize it's a breaking story from yesterday, so we haven't gone into all the different uh, aspects of it. But when you hear something like the Colorado Supreme Court saying that you've misinterpreted sentencing statutes, uh, that headline, does that, uh, should that give us pretty good pause? Well, it's an important decision, of course. Um, I've looked at the sentencing statute. I haven't studied this particular issue, but they are they are quite complicated. So it, it's it's understandable that there could be two good faith interpretations of of these these things. This this was not an obvious error that somebody made. It was more like the Internal Revenue Corporate Tax Code, where there's multiple possible interpretations, and the Colorado Supreme Court did its job and, and now definitively settled on a particular one. Alan Prendergast has been with Westward since the 20th century and continues to be, I, I think, the premier long-form investigative reporter in the state, not, not just on prisons, but on, on so many other topics. So you, you folks who think Westward is just for the, the strip club ads and, and the movie reviews and the pod ads, first things first. Uh, the, the, some issues have some really great reporting, and that includes any issue that has uh, an article by him. Uh, Senator Kevin Lundberg, at the hearing for this $10 million private prison thing, talked about part of the problem is all of the correctional system is all in silos that don't really communicate well with each other, like community corrections, parole, the prisons, all that. And he said it's long past time for some executive leadership uh, to improve the coordination because he said the way we're doing it now is not only wasting dollars, it's wasting people. Ben, there's a lot of uh, headlines here, but I guess one of the things that pops out with private prisons to me is that I get Hollywood as Hollywood, so I don't take it as fact, but there have been a lot of stories lately in dramas like Orange is the New Black that <clears throat> do not paint a pretty picture for a private prison system. So you see Colorado investing in a private prison. Uh, what do folks need to know about, hey, is this a, a good idea, or wait a second, there should be some, uh, someone should be pressing the brakes about this one? Well, you know, there's no question that we are at capacity and over capacity and need some solutions. 
you know, my personal sentiment is that I don't think private prisons are the right answer. I think we need to look more holistically at how we decide to sentence people, how we decide to uh, judge people, and even the, the things that we're sending them to prison for. We have an incredibly high rate of nonviolent offenders who are incarcerated in this country, and that contributes to the overpopulation of prison systems. And I think there's a lot better way to deal with nonviolent criminals than to basically put them in criminal college. So. Um, you know, it's interesting to me to watch the sort of political football here and hearing Lundberg talking about executive leadership. Well, uh, he doesn't have to look very far, just in the mirror every morning. Roger, uh, in addition to being a former PIO for the Attorney General, sure. you're also a former PIO for the Department of Corrections. Right, right. Uh, right. Back when uh, its esteemed leader, Tom Clements, uh, was around. I don't know if this is a sign of it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I guess it begs the question for me Has the Department of Corrections ever really recovered? from the loss of Tom Clements? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question because I don't think they have. And, and I don't think there was ever a doubt that they would be in mourning for quite some time. When you walk through that, that building, and as I, I was the next door office, and people were still talking about him and, and almost enshrining stuff uh, inside the building. He was a data guy. He was very much uh, loved by uh, the people who worked with him. Um, so, no, I don't think they have recovered yet. And I think that's maybe why we're not seeing some of the leadership you're talking about. I think the prison system has kind of had a hands-off approach to some extent. Um, the, the DOC coming in for a, a supplemental is not new. That happens almost every single year. This is a large amount. But I think to understand it, you have to understand the history. Uh, the reason private prisons came into effect was not something that was, was, was um, desired. It was when the Colorado economy was so poor that we couldn't build another prison. So what we did was we fielded it out at a minimum rate. And I've been in them. They're not near as nice as ours. They're very, very mechanical. It's like going you know, to a steakhouse versus going to a fast food restaurant. It's very, very, uh, very, very, uh, um, just very corporate. Um, CSP was then built when we had a little bit of money. CSP2, excuse me, which is uh, also in Canyon City, which is this huge What's prison. What's CSP2? CSP1, you know I'm stuff. sorry. Yeah, okay, that's okay. Uh, Colorado State uh, Penitentiary Prison. Okay. Uh, one, that's where our death chamber is. So that's the big one. So Supermax. Right next to it is CSP2, which was built for this overcrowding so we could take our prisoners back. Once we got it built, um, an attorney sued. I'm not going to say the name, but you probably can guess. Sued uh, on the behalf of the prisoners because, and they talk about it now, that you couldn't see sunlight. So as, if a prisoner is in solitary and can't see the sky, then you have to, you, that's unconstitutional. It's illegal to do that. So CSP2, because it was a, like a, a high security prison, uh, there was no place for that. There was no place for prisoners to be let out to go out. Matter of fact, when you go into the prisons, there's like a window. It's like this big. It's just like this. So there was no place for an outside recreation. So they had to individually take people down each one time. And these are violent criminals. So uh, it was very dangerous for staff. So that's why they were looking for the supplemental was to build that prison out. Republican U.S. Senators Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy have proposed a new health care bill aimed at repealing the Affordable Care Act. Colorado Senator Cory Gardner is still uh, undecided on the bill as, as we make this taping on Friday at noon. Meanwhile, the processing system that handles Medicaid claims in Colorado has failed to pay millions of dollars owed to Colorado health care providers since launching in March. According to the Denver Post, DXC Technology Systems is actively paying 66% of the claims with a long-term goal of increasing to 75%. David, uh, I don't think many people have the option of uh, currently paying 66% of their bills. And 
of the long-term goal of paying 75% of their bills in the future. Um, I know there's probably a lot of details that we don't know about yet, but when you see something like this, does it, does it seem like a big deal? It's an example of sustainability is something that's talked about in the, in the environment, and, and appropriately so. But it's not a concept just, just for that. On any human endeavor, you have to have long-term sustainability. And we don't have that on our healthcare system right now. It is collapsing. Uh, the latest destructive blow to it was Obamacare, where all the project fiscal projections and cooking the books, illegal Enron-type numbers finagling have fallen apart. And, and here we are now trying to figure out what to do about it, like maybe block grant it, basically, which is what Graham Cassidy would do. Here in Colorado, Governor Hickenlooper made the most irresponsible decision of any single individual in Colorado in a fiscal sense, uh, at least in the last century, I think, when he unilaterally doubled the size of Medicaid. And here we don't even have a system where Medicaid can pay the bills for the, you know, the traditional Medicaid, uh, let alone be able to, to double its size. And, of course, it's, it's collapsing, too, under the weight of its own administrative incompetence. Think about the, from the as the Denver Post reported, these doctors who take Medicaid patients and they're not getting paid and they have to take out loans just to be able to stay in practice. Y you can't keep going like that. You, you're, for one thing, you're going to ultimately drive doctors away from taking Medicaid and ultimately out of the practice uh, of medicine. And the, the Bernie Sanders proposals of Medicare for all, you can call it that, but what it's going to turn into is Medicaid for all, which is low-cost care, a terrible billing system, tons of fraud, and worse and worse health care across the board. Ben, I think in general it's hard to find sympathy for health care providers, but if they're not being paid, that's actually pretty easy to sympathize with. Uh, it seems like we're asking for trouble. What do you think? It's a lot of trouble, and uh, you know, one of the most impacted areas in the state are, are rural areas, which are already are underserved in, in terms of their health care needs. So this is a, a massive problem, and to have only 66% of their claims being paid is just unacceptable. 75% is not really much better. They need to be able to, to, to operate, essentially, uh, no pun intended. And it, it's a huge problem. So I think that this is a, a, uh, a political problem that's going to follow our legislators around, um, particularly after this coming session, and, and something that... You know, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to fix, frankly. Roger, we have a couple uh, we have a, a local story and a national uh, angle sure. here. Do you think Republicans uh, in Congress need to pass them before September 30th? I keep hearing that date being lobbied about, right. and I, I, I don't know too much about it, but is that, does that mean we're going to see extra pressure brought upon somebody like Cory Gardner? Well, I think you're already seeing it. Uh, just as we've been setting here, uh, my uh, watch is telling me that McCain has already come out and said that he is not going to vote for it. So, so already, no vote. Okay. So no vote for him. So he's already pushing back. So that's already a problem. The, the problem is they came in with a, with a plan to um, you know, gerrymander the system, if you want to say that. That, to, to avoid having to have a larger vote number tally, they wanted to do this before the 30 date. And because of that, we're going to get a rush bill. I think that there are some people that are, that are maybe elderly, or, or at least at the end of their career, um, and they're going to say, no, we're not doing it. Alaska's 
totally turning their back against this. I don't think there's anything Donald Trump could say again or try to do that would turn her. Uh, Murkowski is just totally not going to do this. But I also think there's a problem here in Colorado. I don't think that we've talked this through. I mean, if you look at this, and, and I mean, this is not a we didn't have the money, I don't think. This is about not having an IT system that is able to pay providers. And, and though most people don't know a lot about health care or health care reform, but they do know their doctors, and they want their doctors paid. They, the doctors take care of them. They want their doctors taken care of. And so this is very personal on a level in Colorado that I, don't, I think is being underestimated by both parties. They, uh, people have skin in this game. Roger, that was great analysis. I just want to make a note that if only a year or two ago we had somebody come on and say, my watch just told me something, it would have been reacted to in an entirely different way than we do right now. Just, there's just something about 2017 that's just a little bit different for the show. I just wanted to say that. Patty, uh, wrap up the, the topic for us. It's not a great week for state agencies or computer systems. Well, the problem in Colorado shows just what the unintended consequences when you think you're dealing with Obama. Obamacare in this case. You think you're coming up with the right system for the Colorado people, Coloradans. Obviously it didn't work, especially if we can't even get the computer system to handle it. So multiply that by 50 states with everything else that's going on now in Washington. We think there's supposedly another fix where no one's really talked about it. It's kind of getting rid of Obamacare, but it's really just trying to get rid of Bernie Sanders and single payer. This one is no better thought out than the last Republican proposal. And arguably, we still haven't had the conversation we needed to have after Obamacare was passed about what doesn't work, what can be fixed, and what has to go. Officials of the city of Denver announced on Thursday that they have reached a deal to purchase the Park Hill Golf Course for $20.5 million. The deal still needs to be approved by the city council, and no plans have been announced on what the city will do with the 155-acre site. Ben, uh, this seemed like, I'm not sure this was a surprise. There are a lot of folks saying that this should happen, the city should buy Park Hill. But what do you think the city should do with it? Well, I think they should keep it as dedicated uh, open space and, and park space. You know, I think it's an, a fair and open question about whether it should continue to be a golf course. Um, all reports indicate that it has not been financially viable as such. Um, my major concern, of course, is that the city is going to once again uh, turn its back on its citizens, give away more open space, turn it open to developers for more low-cost, low cost, <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it, just poor quality construction, which we have ample amounts of here in the city. So that would be my big concern. I know that they're going to dedicate uh, maybe about 35 acres or a portion of it on the corner to, to stormwater uh, drainage, which is, it's okay. Uh, it'd be nice to maybe see more of that in that uh, park as opposed to City Park Golf Course. Um, so it's an open question, but it's certainly the right move on its face. Given the track record of this administration, though, I, I think we should probably plan for the worst. <laughs> always a fan, always a fan. I remember yeah. that. Uh, Roger, you have a situation here at the city with the city park golf course. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be even be able to use as a part a golf course right. once all the uh, stormwater mitigation sure. systems go in there. And they just purchased Park Hill, which isn't next door, but it's not that far down the right. road. Could you see something where Denver says, well, even though we need to take apart the city park golf course, we're going to now have our new city park golf course down the road? Uh, or is that even an option? 
Yeah, I don't think it's really an option. Honestly, I, I don't know that we need a downtown golf course. I don't know that this one was popular even when it was popular. I don't know that it was serving that great of people, uh, amount of uh, citizens. Um, and for outdoor space, I mean, we live in Colorado. I mean, I've got outdoor space everywhere I go. I, you know, 10 minutes. I don't live in New York. I can drive outside of the city and do that. What we don't have is good, affordable housing downtown. Uh, or even for seniors or for students, you know, for some things that we actually really need right now. Our first topic, you know, actually you know, highlights that very well. There's some things that we need in downtown Denver we do not have. We don't need another museum. Uh, I don't think we need a golf course, but we do need some housing. We need some services for our citizens in Denver so they don't have to drive out of, this, uh, out of the city to go get. Patty, what do you think the city should do with its new, well, tentatively, new 155 acres? Uh, how much space does Amazon need? I am hoping, I think it's like 100 acres, I am hoping that is not what the goal is here. But I'm, let me argue with you about the open space issue because how, look at the people who live in North Park Hill. Look at a lot of the poor neighborhoods in town. They don't have the cars. They can't get out of town up to the mountains. They can't go on these retreats. So open space is really critical to a city. And we've seen Denver 100 years ago, the city beautiful concept, getting all that open space out there. That's important. So I, I would hope the city has a good plan to continue to use it as open space. Whether or not as a golf course is a big question because we're seeing a lot of different things going on in parks right now that mean it's time for Denver to have a discussion. You've got Overland with the concert. You have City Park that will be closed for some of this mitigation for a long time. People need to figure out what they want from the city with the parks. David, wrap it up for us. Well, I, I want to represent the, the view of uh, people like myself, the, the pro-golf extremists. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, the, the Park Hill Golf Course has been around for many, many decades and was a viable <clears throat> thing for a, a long, long time. The golfing population has declined and it appears to be no longer sustainable. So that use probably does have to change. I think I endorse everything Ben said so well that the best thing to do, and, and Patty, that we, we should keep it as open space. It's a really important factor in the livability of a city. Um, and it includes the, the mental health. I mean, remember when I lived in, in Brooklyn and was near Prospect Park, you know, very dense area, but just to be able to walk a few blocks and go to a park and, you know, clear your head and get some fresh air and open spaces is, is really, really important. And I also I think, think Ben's fears of what the Hancock administration will do to it are uh, probably well-founded. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, having golfed with you and being a, a similar type of golfer, I can imagine them, uh, if they're using us as a standard, it will no longer be a golf course, uh, <laughs> uh, take, taking that uh, dishonor away. We are Let, not worthy. <laughs> that's right. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I'm a little concerned to find out there have been secret CIO golf outings. <laughs> but that is not the disgrace right now. Speaking of secrets, and Lord knows I love leakers. It, you know, keep those leaks coming. But the leaked memos now on what the Secretary of Interior is planning on doing with many of these national monuments, including the decimation of some of the, the two that were set up basically in Utah a few years ago. That is a disgrace. David. The national media did a good, did a good job of covering Hurricane Harvey and then the aftermath in Texas, but it's doing much less of a complete job for coverage of the hurricane devastation in uh, the United States Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, which are every bit as much a part of the United States as Texas. Here, here. Ben. Uh, I was disappointed to see that the Denver Teen Pregnancy Clinic is going to be losing its funding and closing its doors. Uh, it serves an important function here in the metro area, and the, the idea that we suddenly don't need to provide services to at-risk youth 
and young ladies who are facing those kinds of really difficult issues is, is kind of insane to me. Roger. I'm really uh, actually very disappointed to see that um, John Hickelooper called a special session for to deal with a certain problem and then decided not to talk to the leadership in either one of the houses. Um, they're running without a rudder right now and trying to figure out what they're going to do. They're wasting tax dollars, my tax dollars, right before a legislative session. He should meet with these people instead of going to Washington on a media tour. So to say something nice about somebody, always oh, the hardest part of the show. Patty? Easy this time, and I'm going to go to another part of the Denver parks, the mountain parks, which are a real asset for this city outside of the city but you can go you can see certain the the um, bison herd up on Genesee and also Buffalo Bills Museum if you haven't been there lately that is a great place and I want to say something very nice about Steve Friesen the longtime director of the Buffalo Bill Museum who is retiring I did not know he was retiring. And he's, a, he's an international figure he has brought Buffalo Bill once the most famous man in the world Steve Friesen has continued to push his fame. Steve was uh, critical for us this year. We went back to 1917 for the CIO Time Machines on CPT12.org. We had a whole topic about Buffalo Bill because he passed away that day or that year. And uh, Steve yeah, Friesen was critical. Yeah, he was uh, critical in helping us build it out. Well, happy retirement, Steve. David. The Colorado Rockies, with only nine games to go in the 162-game season, are actually, if it ended now, they'd, they'd make the playoffs and they'd made a, whatever happens, they've made a tremendous step forward this season. Interesting baseball in September in Colorado. Yeah. Not often you can say that. Ben. Well, I don't usually look to Fort Collins because I'm a, a Boulder guy, a CU grad, but I thought that the CSU uh, football jerseys with the Colorado insignia were just about the coolest thing I've ever seen in terms of sports apparel. I love to wear my old school Colorado pins, and it was great to see the old school uh, logo and flag on there and not this silly million dollar green recycling label that we've decided to change to. <laughs> well, Magnanimous of you to compliment Fort Collins. Well sure. done. Roger. I'm really impressed with uh, Coloradans, how we've uh, actually helped out with the, uh, the hurricane victims. Uh, Republican Party haven't talked about it, but they've sent truck after truck after truck to Houston, not to, the, not to uh, outside of the United States, obviously, but uh, that they've done that without tooting their own horn, without calling reporters, that they just have, have, have uh, tried to fulfill a need. Uh, they're being recognized, uh, I think it's later in the, the month, next week, uh, for all that they've done there in Houston. I just, I'm very proud to be a Coloradan and know that they're doing that work. That is all the time we have this, uh, for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, before we go, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to something that's a, a big deal here for all the public television stations. You've probably seen the different commercials, different promotion uh, across the country about the Vietnam War, the latest of uh, Ken Burns' documentary series. It's his... Uh, I don't know, it won't be his last one. He's going to be working on more of them, but this, I think, is certainly his new high bar. It's 18 hours of just unbelievable footage from all the different sides of what was really uh, something unbelievable uh, when it comes to an American legacy. That is available for viewing on CPT12.org right now for the next couple weeks, so please check it out if you're interested. We also want to give a Say Something Nice uh, to uh, Roger's mom, Carol. Thank you very much for letting him uh, delay your birthday lunch today so that Roger can join us. It's very kind of you. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Indeed. And as always, be sure you can catch all the Colorado Inside Out segments on Facebook and Twitter. And we have the CIO Post Game, our special web exclusive segment, which we tape after this show. So you can check it out there. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. So for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.